Prince Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Soundprints is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushville. I'm your host for this week's magazine. This is Soundprints for the week of April 15, 2018. We apologize for not publishing a Soundprints last week. The 2018 Crossroads Conference was April 6 and 7, and it was packed with good information, good food, good presentations, and good friends. Both days were action-packed, and by the time Saturday evening arrived, we were just too exhausted to complete this edition of Soundprints in time for it to post on Sunday. We do want to recognize our Crossroads sponsors. The road sponsors, the $10 sponsors, were Joey Couch, Patty Cox, Debbie Dethridge, Tess Flynn, Samantha Hubbard, Jonathan McCarty, Sue Ellen Milo, Dana Metcalf, Trina Muncy, Amanda Selm, Matthew Selm, Sue Wesley, and Donna Wheeler. The Lane $25 sponsors were Debbie Persons, Deanna Scoggins, David Smith, and Elaine Weisbart. The Avenue $50 sponsors were Natalie Couch, Keith Rushville and the Pony Ride Band, and Wendy Steprow. The Boulevard $100 sponsors were Rick and Betty Boggess, Guide Dog Users of Kentuckiana, they sponsored the Saturday Morning Breakfast, Adam Rushville, Carla Rushville, Jerry Slusher, and Tri-State Library Users, who sponsored the flash drives for the handouts. The Thoroughfare sponsor was the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind, GLCB sponsored the Snack Cart. The Turnpike sponsors were $300 and were Louisville East Lions Club and the Lula Dotson Legacy. The Interstate sponsor for $2,000 was the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. Thanks to all of the sponsors. We couldn't have done it without them. George Holliday is a current member of the ACB Board of Directors from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and he visits with us on page 2. But he isn't talking about ACB or anything related to ACB. A few weeks ago, George and I were on a conference call together, and the subject of making yummy home-cooked pulled pork barbecue came up. George informed us that his pulled pork barbecue was absolutely the best. Since most of us on the call had no idea that George even knew how to cook or liked to cook, we jumped on that right away and started asking questions. Our interview with him on page two is the result of that conversation. Find out how George Holliday went from running a very small counter as part of the Randolph Shepherd vending program many years ago to planning weddings and catering large events and smoking turkeys for hundreds of hungry customers at Thanksgiving. He even met the President of the United States along the way. It's a fascinating story and we hope you enjoy it. Do you get frustrated with the hassles in the airport or the questions people sometimes ask about how you do things as a blind person? We bring you an article on page 3 by a blinded veteran who shares his opinion of the way his world has changed since he lost his vision in Afghanistan. And on page 4 is the Sound Prince calendar. Page 2 
George Holiday is from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. He's a member of the ACB Board of Directors. But today we're going to talk about George uh, in a, with a very different hat. George, years ago, was a vendor and in the D.C. area. One day on a conference call in the recent past, we were talking about some things and discovered a really interesting um, aspect of what originally became, was his vending operation. So he's agreed to talk to us about it on Soundprints and just uh, kind of tell us some stories and things. So welcome, George. Thank you, Carla. George, you were a Randolph Shepard vendor in, in Washington, D.C., or in the D.C. area, correct? Yes. Okay. And, and, so, and that was a, a fairly typical location, but it became much more than a typical location. So tell us what happened and how it began, and then we'll just see where it goes from there. Okay, very good. I became a vendor in 78 with a small dry stand where I had newspapers, snacks, sodas. Mm -hmm. I was there for maybe four or five months. And I was able to move into another location, a semi-cafeteria, where we had prepared food and we it would it gave me it gave me the opportunity to, to be able to deal with public and the public and food, mm-hmm. but unfortunately I was only there for maybe three months. Another a big location opened up, and this was a full line cafeteria. Oh boy! <laughs> and I walked into this. Well, at the time, well, I'm always a, an aggressive person, so I I was up for the challenge. It was a big challenge because. I knew very little about food. So what I did, I took a culinary class okay. in the evening. And that helped me tremendously because I felt that in order to instruct somebody, I need to know what I'm talking about. Well, yeah, that so always is good. <laughs> in order to tell somebody, I want you to make a cheesesteak, I want to have it in my mind how I want it done. Mm-hmm. So I can walk up and say, no, this is not, I, I appreciate how you're doing this, but <clears throat> we want to look at presentation. Mm-hmm. We want to appeal to the public to be able to come back to us. Mm-hmm. And I'll maybe say after, while I was in a culinary class, my sister was employed at NIH, National Institute of Health. Mm-hmm. And... A week before Christmas, she called me. She says, George, I need some help. I says, what's wrong? She says, our caterer dropped out, and we need some platters. <laughs> I says, so what do you want me to do? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. So she says, well, I, I need some vegetables and cheese and crackers and some, some meatballs and some chicken wings. All right. I said, yeah, I could do that. I said, how many people? She says, oh, just maybe 100. I said, okay. So I worked it up, and, and, and we delivered it. And that was my first catering event. And ever since then, and NIH is a very large facility, well, a property with maybe 50, 60 buildings that hold oh, maybe 1,000 people. Ooh. So just by working with 
that one event, departmental event, it got my foot in the door. Mm-hmm. Even though they had two or three other locations there, uh, but they didn't do catering. So that was gave me the opportunity where I'll say by June of that year, I did a, I had expanded where I had a picnic for them for one building that held 600 people. Oh, my goodness. That was, and now that was, so all the years I catered there, during the summer, most of my catering was done at NIH because every building wanted a picnic. <laughs> okay. And, I mean, so the first year it was rough because I didn't have the equipment I wanted to. Mm-hmm. But I had a friend of mine who told me about a, a smoker. And this smoker would attach to the back of the van, so I had to get a driver. And I could put 900 pounds of meat in there at one time. Oh, my. And within three and a half to four mm-hmm. hours, it would smoke all those ribs or, and or chicken. And all you had to do, they have, at the time, and they still do, they have a grill. It's a six-foot, or sometimes you can get an eight-foot grill, that you put all your meat on one side, and you close it into a, uh, like a basket. Mm-hmm. And when that side is brown, all mm-hmm. you just flip the whole thing over, and it starts on the other side. Oh. So we had a van that had maybe six of these grills. So as you're taking your meat out the smoker, when you go to the event set up, mm-hmm. it only took maybe 20 or 30 minutes to brown these, brown everything, mm-hmm. and you're ready to start serving. So it, it was an incredible event. You know, it was a learning skill, and you, you know, every time, every time you do something, you're learning something new. Mm-hmm. So it was great to do, but Doing doing a picnic can be very very profitable, mainly if it's a buffet. Mm-hmm. Uh, buffets work out well. So uh, I guess at one time with NIH, I was doing almost a picnic every week, mm-hmm. and I expanded into a well that meant more staff. So I'll say at the time I had sixteen employees. But during the summer, I, I jumped up to maybe, I'll say, 30 employees. My goodness. I needed the extra staff because right. the, the cafeteria expanded also. Oh, okay. And I had, I had two managers. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but, the, you know, the all-time saying is the biggest problem with the food business is employees. Mm-hmm. And the Oh, it, it's a shame. People, you know, people always taking advantage of. They see you doing things. Oh, well, he has this. And we can do this. So, you know, but you always uh, alternating employees, changing employees, hiring new employees because people, they will steal from you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. One, one day, a security guard came to me and says, "Hey, you got to come out to the dumpster. Somebody hid a whole case of fish fillets." Oh, my goodness. So they could take them home later on. This in is the a dumpster? 40-pound case of fish. In the dumpster? Outside the dumpster, but they had it covered with trash. Oh, yeah. good heavens. But no telling how long this has been going on. You know, it's, mm-hmm. when you have a 
big walk-in freezer that might be the size of your living room, mm-hmm. uh, it's hard to control exactly what you have in there, you know? Yes. Uh, or keep inventory of it, you know? So it's, it's a challenge. But getting back to the catering, through a friend, well, I don't, okay, I don't know if you remember, Jim Flynn used to, he was used to be with ACB. Yes. From Virginia. Mm-hmm. Him and Kathy, his wife Kathy, got married, and I, he asked me to cater their wedding. <laughs> I've never coordinated a wedding before, so we, I sat down and we coordinated things over the phone, and that's how I start catering weddings. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And, and with me being in a Lions club, mm-hmm. a lot of my Lions friends knew orca, uh, DJs, bands, mm-hmm. and orchestras, so I compiled a database in my computer. Mm-hmm. So if a couple wanted to have a uh, wedding uh, reception, we would sit in my office and coordinate the whole thing within maybe an hour, hour and a half, two hours. Mm-hmm. And I took some classes. And I became a wedding coordinator. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it just, you know, just things fell into place. It was just, it was a lot of work because I was working seven days a week. Mm-hmm. It, it was it was a big challenge, but it was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I look back at times where I did an award ceremony for Voice of America, and I was setting up the. Uh, we they wanted us to go a little fancy to, because the president was going to be there, uh, President Bush, and so we had a fountain that we use for weddings and whatnot, so we had the punch set up. So I'm going through, <clears throat> I had more sight then, uh, the high mm-hmm. partial then. Well, I say high partial, but I only had, say, 10% sight, but to me uh, that's a lot of sight. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I was finalizing things, helping my employees set up, and all of a sudden, uh, Secret Service tapped me on my shoulder and says, uh, would you take a minute, somebody wants to meet you. And I told her, turned around, it was President Bush. And that was a shock. It was just, you know, he said, I heard that I was doing a presentation here today and that the food, everything's been catered by a blind person. He said, I had to meet you. <laughs> and it was so nice. We, we talked for maybe 10 minutes. Oh, wow. And uh, I received a certificate from him. And, uh, you know, just it was just it, it, was, it was a great honor, you know. So, oh, I guess. Uh, <clears throat> so some some of the different departments, like Department of Education uh, or Transportation, I don't remember who the, the mm-hmm. cabinet person was then, mm-hmm. but I did several of his award ceremonies. And it was, mm-hmm. it was just, you know, it was just, I didn't advertise. It was word of mouth. Huh. Uh, Talk about networking. Yeah. What an well, example. And with doing a wedding, a friend of Jim Fleming's, when I did their wedding a year later, called me from Florida mm-hmm. and says, we want you to come down and do our wedding. Oh. I says, how could I do that? He says, well, I'm going to talk with the hotel. And they already said they'll make their staff available for you. Oh, my goodness. So they flew me down to meet with the hotel and coordinate things. And they arranged for me to take two of my staff members down there with me. So we 
did a wedding. My <laughs> goodness. So it, 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 it was, you know, I, I, I love to cook. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife, Sarita, does not cook. <laughs> and Well, then she chose the right person. <laughs> <laughs> She's pretty smart. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I think she has cooked once. <laughs> but uh, her thing is, I tell her, stay out of my kitchen because the kitchen's not big enough for the two of us. I cook and she cleans up. <laughs> now, that, that's really good. You know, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. yeah. I, I, I don't mind cooking, but I hate to clean up. So, you, well, know, you know, that's kind it, of the deal in our house, too. It, in culinary school, we were taught to clean up as you go. Uh-huh. So when Serena gets ready to do dishes, she has very little to do. Yes. I'm, I'm cleaning yeah. up as I'm working. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. Well, I, I do the main, you know, Adam does the salad. He's salad man around here. Because I don't like that chopping and dicing and, you know, slicing and all that stuff. Oh, that, yeah, because that's time-consuming. It is. Don't want to yeah, do that. It's, it's, so, it's very time-consuming. Yeah. And to buy it packaged, it's not good. No, it's not. Because so much preservatives on that. You know, it's just not good yeah. for you. Yeah. People think it is, but it's, it's mm-hmm. the easy way out is not the best way. Nope. No. Yeah. It is not. Yeah. But, so, you know, one interesting story, uh, uh, when I used to do catering for picnics, with this smoker, I would tell people because I use a, I use a, have my own, mixed up my own dry rub. Mm-hmm. I would tell people, and I, when I let them know that the uh, buffet line was open, mm-hmm. I would introduce the uh, the group and you know welcome everybody there, and mm-hmm. I would say now, I tell, tell them what the menu was. I said, but one thing, we're going to have some barbecue ribs, but I'm not going to use the term barbecue ribs. I'm going to use smoked ribs. Mm-hmm. So I want you to try the ribs by themselves. <clears throat> then if you want sauce, it's there. Because uh-huh. I tell them, you know, because really when you're cooking ribs, you don't put your sauce on until the last two minutes of cooking. Ah, okay. Oh, yeah, because sauce has sugar in it. It'll burn. Okay. Yeah, it burns. So you, you only want to brown it a little bit with the sauce on it. You don't want that sauce to burn. Okay. And so find out that, 75% of the people did that. They ate the ribs without the sauce. Really? Because the sauce disguises the taste of your, of your meat. Mm-hmm. So by smoking it and putting your own seasonings and whatnot in there, you're getting the natural taste of that meat. Hmm. Mm-hmm. But you also, um, in addition to doing your weddings, um, you, you were telling me about doing a lot of catering, like at Thanksgiving and things like that. Tell yeah. us about that. I think that's an okay. amazing story. So that one particular smoker, well, I, I used to smoke, well, we were, used to smoke turkeys. Mm-hmm. And we had a, I had a small smoker at one time that used to do maybe six turkeys. Mm-hmm. And people were asking for them, and I, I, I had to expand. So when I got this bigger grill smoker, that's when I start smoking them. And I had to set it up in a way where if you were scheduled, we have to schedule your time when you're going to pick up that turkey. Because mm-hmm. I didn't have the space at home to do all this. Mm-hmm. I had one freezer that I can hold, oh, maybe 30 turkeys. But what I did, I set up a, <clears throat> there was a, 
Safeway grocery store nearby me. And I use Butterball turkeys. So I set up a, a, a little contract with them that I can purchase X amount of turkeys twice a week, and they would deliver them. Mm-hmm. And I gave them a guarantee, and every time that, you know, for the year, but that each time that, that guarantee, <laughs> we, we over, went over that. Mm-hmm. So we would, I, would, I prepared my own label. I had a vacuum sealer. So I'd smoke the turkey, put it in the vacuum sealer, and if they, was, if they wanted it frozen, I would freeze it. If not, they would have it pick it up that day. But it, it started out with maybe, with the big machine, maybe that year from, uh, say, Halloween through Christmas, we did maybe 100 turkeys. Mm-hmm. But it ended up maybe five, six years later doing 1,000 turkeys. Mm-hmm. It was It was outrageous how people love smoked turkey mm-hmm. and it just it's something i wish i had continued but i didn't it just you know after a while you get tired of things and you have to move on and you know, it just things just happen right you, you, you change and, and you move on you know right right uh i had some death in the family too so it kind of slowed things down a little bit mm-hmm. but I love to cook, and uh, I, I, I was always entertaining. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, did you do things other than ribs and <clears throat> and things? How did you do, like, did you do desserts and those kinds of things, too? You know, I didn't do a lot of desserts. I wasn't, mm-hmm. a, I'm not a baker. <laughs> uh, you weren't the pie chef, right? I, I enjoy cooking pies, mm-hmm. but I got away from it because it was, very time-consuming to uh, have a catered event and you prepare all the bakery stuff. Uh-huh. So it was it, in the long run, when you're dealing with employees, it's cheaper to purchase your own purchase baked goods. Okay. You know, uh, for example, potato salad. Mm-hmm. You you can you're not going to sit there and cut up stuff for a picnic for 500 people for potato salad. <laughs> Peel all those potatoes, right? No, you you buy a certain... Well, I could say this. I don't know if they're in, in the business now. Mrs. Smith had a fantastic potato salad. Mm. And I used to be able to buy it by the case in an eight-pound carton. But I made, we, what made it different is we doctored it up. Mm-hmm. You added more eggs. Yes. You added more celery. Mm-hmm. And you added, which I like to use, is a chunky relish. Oh. And one thing about potato salad, you have to be careful. People, and people, well, I don't like making potato salad because the next day it's runny. I said, well, the reason why is you're scooping out relish, cucumber, that has a lot of vinegar in it, and vinegar mm-hmm. breaks down your mayonnaise. Mm-hmm. Oh. So what you do is mm-hmm. you put your relish in a colander and run cold water over that relish to get rid of that sweetness oh. and the vinegar. Uh-huh. And you literally squeeze all the juice out of that relish, then put it in your potato salad. You won't have that vinegar to break down your mayonnaise. Huh. So it'll last... Three or four days. Uh huh. So it'll last longer. Yeah. 
Wow. Well, those sure are some of the tricks you learn. Yeah. I'm sure there's yeah. a lot of little tricks like that. Oh, yeah. There's a, there's a lot. Yeah. 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 So, you know, I, I, Serena and I talk about this every once in a while. I guess about maybe eight years or somebody came by, and I do a lot of cooking on the grill. Mm-hmm. Because if I, if I smoke something, I'll brown it on the grill. And you get flare-ups. Uh-huh. That happened. Uh-huh. I had a neighbor, because I have a big deck. That I'm, I'm, you, you drive underneath my deck to go into the garage, so I'm up in the air. That's where a lot of our neighbors are. <laughs> but they'll be on their, on their deck watching me, and I didn't know, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. But I had a neighbor who didn't like me, I understand, because I was aggressive about doing things, keeping my yard up and doing this and that. He called the fire department because he saw a flare-up. He told him I was trying to burn down the neighborhood. Oh, dear. <laughs> so when the fire department showed up, it was a neighbor who was one of the firemen. Mm-hmm. And he came in, George. He said, well, we had a complaint. He says, George, he said, when I heard this, I laughed about it. He said, he says, so let's do this. Let's go out on your deck and have some what you're barbecuing. <laughs> he says, so your neighbor could see <laughs> that I enjoy your food, too. Oh, dear. <laughs> thing is, he said what it was, the people said, I'm blind, that I should not be cooking on a grill. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to have sight to cook on a grill. You use your ears. Mm-hmm. And you know what that steak is going to do, or if you hear further, everybody should carry a, keep a spray bottle of water on their grill. Mm-hmm. That's, that's just a little, little fun things that <laughs> I experience here. Did you, through all of that experience, did you still have your location, your vending location? Yes, I did. Mm-hmm. Uh, I kept that vending location through 96 mm-hmm. that I retired. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'll tell you, one person that had a lot of influences in that is, I get, I have a, we have nicknames for it. His, for each other. My name is Big G, and his name is Big O, and that's Oral Miller. Mm-hmm. When Oral Miller was like the director, uh, when he found out that I did platters, I was doing all of their office parties or get-togethers when they really have meetings and whatnot. It was a lot of fun, and Oral and I bowled together, so uh, the, we ate together. So a lot mm-hmm. of times when we catered, I catered the office event, when it was left over, we would sit there and eat, and that was... That's the problem with Oral and I. We enjoyed eating. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm glad I didn't do sweets because I would have been larger than what I was then. Yes. Uh, you know, when you're, when you're evolving with food, you, you're always tasting what you're doing. Yes. And that's a bad thing for a caterer because at that time, I, I got up to 250 pounds at one time mm-hmm. just by catering. It just, oh. <laughs> but it was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. A lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's a fascinating story, um, you know, because, I mean, there are there are just the huge locations now. I mean, things like on the Department of Defense installations, like here in Kentucky at Fort Knox and Fort Campbell. Yeah. yeah. I mean, those are enormous. But, but this was before those happened, and it, it's a very different... Um, spinoff on on the um, location on the the Randolph Shepard program, mm-hmm. and uh, 
just a, a real fascinating chart. I'll just tell you, George. I I just the, you know just just having the the um, Secret Service come up and say, oh here we want you to meet somebody. It turns out to be the president. Well, I would have had a hard time is, going back to get that food ready after that. <laughs> the thing is, I didn't like to like doing events where the president was involved because mm-hmm. when they planned the event, mm-hmm. the food that you had the order for that, mm-hmm. you had to designate that in a certain area of your freezer, mm-hmm. and Secret Service would come two days beforehand and inspect it. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, it, it was there. It was very tight on how they did things. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, if you were going to deliver food to different location, Secret Service rode with you. Oh. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. I can see why that would that would be. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I hadn't, but I hadn't thought of that. And I'm sure it's probably much, much, much tighter today. Oh yeah, I would think so. Oh. Uh, I I would think a lot of their events are, are catered in-house now. I don't think mm-hmm. they go outside, unless you're dealing with the uh, some of the cabinet positions or whatnot. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. being in Washington, there's, around where I was, Department of Education, Department of Commerce, they were all be looking for catering, and I was, I was there, and that was interesting, though. Mm-hmm. Well, that's certainly an aspect that uh, you, you, I, I don't know about, about most people, but I always think of the person who's catering the event as being pretty much the um, outside person. Now, that's not always true uh, with with some locations. And uh, for example, the person who has the um, the cafeteria at the American Printing House does mm-hmm. catering for their events now, but. But you know that in in comparison, that's small, and yeah. uh, uh, but then to have it grow into the wedding planning business, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I think that yeah. is that is extremely interesting because I'm sure you didn't just plan food, as you said, you knew the bands and the DJs and stuff, and that would mean you're planning the parties. And, and we coordinated everything. Yeah. Uh, I had my own video equipment with me having more sight. <clears throat> I had two video cameras where people were, I had two people employed to take the videos. Mm-hmm. And I had machine editing equipment at home where I would edit oh. my own video. So I had, for, for example, one time I went down on the, uh, uh, on the Washington Mall. And it was in the evening. And then I used to always carry a video camera with me. Mm-hmm. There was a plane taking off from uh, National Airport, mm-hmm. going out west, and it was going off. And, and I, I had my camera on, and I picked up this plane. It was taking off, and it was going off past the sun down into the sunset. And I used that at the end of the video for a wedding video where the couple was going off into the sunset, where I would use my video camera and take, you know, go to the bachelor party or go to the bridal shower and have some snap snippets of their events, mm-hmm. take pictures of the invitation, and put all that in the video. Oh. Wow. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. A, and then I had uh, two people that would use 
take the snapshots over where they had the uh, picture album also. Mm-hmm. So we we gave them a complete package. I even uh, had a friend was with a limousine service where they gave me a good discount to have to use their limousine service. So it was uh, you know one a company helping another company, and that's the way mm-hmm. it worked out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah, I'm sure you had florists and things, too. Yes, florists, too. And just like the limousine company, they allowed me to put my business cards in their, uh, in their, in their limousine. So that was a plus. You know, uh-huh. you, but it was just a growing, it was always growing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I can see why. Because good planners, good coordinators in those businesses are really, I mean, you can find lots of, of planners, but good yeah. planners are are like anything else. They're, well, they're, no, I they're, made not, my they're just not a dime a dozen. I made my mistakes in the beginning, but you learn through mistakes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if anybody says they never made a mistake, they're lying because <laughs> mistakes happen. Right. I don't right. care what you're doing. Mistakes happen. Yeah. And you grow and learn by your mistakes. Right. Well, George, we really appreciate you talking with us today. This has been very entertaining. I, I hope our listeners have found this as entertaining as I have. Um, my, my, I have several um, relatives who, over the years, were vendors, and you know, mm. each location's a little different. That's right. But um, I think this one is is just you know that this is just a real different story, and I appreciate you sharing it with us. And it does show. I think the big thing here is n- not just related to vending but it's it, it's in anything you do that if you you know, take advantage of the, the the things that come your way and and are prepared to move when opportunities come along and just just um reach out and take those opportunities you just don't know where things are gonna are going to That's go right. you know I, I've, I've seen a lot of vendors get into a location and they're satisfied mm-hmm with what the previous vendor did. Right. But there's so many opportunities of increasing and growing that location. Right, right. Finding out what your people like. Right. And dislike. And you want to cater toward your clientele. Well, and that's true whether it's vending or whether it's some other kind of work or whether it's organizations. That's right, that's right. You know, you, yeah, you have yeah. to constantly be looking for something, maybe not totally new, but a new twist. Correct. Mm-hmm. Because that keeps things exciting and interesting, and, and and then it catches people's attention, and pretty soon you're reaching out to more people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right. Brian Charlson and I get together, not often, but once in a while we talk food. Mm-hmm. Because he loves, oh, he loves to cook. And he has a smoker also, so we're always talking about different things that we put in our smoker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So if you ever have anybody with a smoker, have them put their macaroni and cheese in the smoker. That's a complete different taste. You would oh, love it. Really? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Okay. You can put anything in a smoker. Your vegetables. Yes. Huh. Okay. But you have to watch how you time it. But it's, it, it's, it's a great experience. Huh. Okay. Well, I, I I know next to nothing about a smoker. so um, and, and they're easy to use. Oh, really? You know, with a grill, you have to stand there and watch them. Okay. Uh, who just came out with this machine? You put your meat in it, set it, forget it, uh, Rob Papel or something like that. Uh, okay. 
But with a smoker, you put it in there and set it and come back later on, open it and take your meat out, and you're ready to eat. Oh, that's messed up. You don't have to stand over and watch it. Now, George, does it run on electricity? Does it run on yeah. charcoal? No. Okay. What do they, you do? The, the better was, well, I'm, I'm not promoting this one, but I okay. use, I've used this a lot. It's called Masterbuilt okay. Smokers. Mm-hmm. And it's better for someone who is visually impaired to use an electric one. Mm-hmm. And the reason why your electric smokers, when you set that temperature, it maintains that temperature. Mm-hmm. They have charcoal smokers, they have the propane smokers, but you have to sit there and watch and monitor. And mm-hmm. monitor. That's not good for someone who's visually impaired. Right. You get a better product using a electric one. Okay. And yeah. and how large are they? I mean, I'm sure they're different sizes, but... They have some small ones that you could put, say, two 20-pound turkeys in it, or mm-hmm. uh, I have one that I can put six 25-pound turkeys in there. Mm-hmm. That's what I have now. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, you have several shells where you could put a, a turkey. Uh, and when I smoke, I smoke, and I'll, and I'll freeze meat. I'll put Cornish hens in there. I'll do a few slabs of ribs. And I All at like one to, time. Yeah, at one time. Mm-hmm. Yes, and depending on what you're cooking, you have your you have your, you can go to Home Depot, or Lowe's, and get your different wood chips, which give your meat a different flavor. Oh, and you For put example, those in there? Yes, you, there, there's a tray where you put it in there, and you soak them ahead of time. Mm-hmm. So that create, helps that smoke. So that steam, that smoke gets in that steam. That mm-hmm. steam goes through your meat and leaves the flavor in the meat. So. And you put this out on your deck. Oh, yeah. Yes. Right. Uh-huh. Okay. Now, for example, you know, when you're barbecuing, say, ribs, mm-hmm. uh, and they're fatty, what helps to draw the fat out is to mix up vinegar and mustard. Mustard draws out the, the fat, fatty juices. So in your smoker, they have a, what they call a, a liquid tray mm-hmm. where you can I use uh, red vinegar, mustard and seasoning and that flavor along with the dry rub i use that flavor gets into that meat and helps to draw the fat out Ooh, it just sounds wonderful oh yeah yeah <laughs> it yeah. really does oh my goodness yeah. and you have to experiment you know yeah uh, I'll, I'll i'll put a lamb in like a lamb in there but i'll use apple chips mm-hmm. and oak chips mix them together and it gives it a nice flavor huh. Well, that that just sounds. And then your vegetables can go in there too. Your vegetables, you you, you can buy a tray. You can just put them on an aluminum tray in there, mm-hmm. and asparagus in there. It's fantastic. <laughs> so, and then do you do them separately from the meat? Well, I'll put my asparagus up on the top shelf of meat on my lower shelf. Mm-hmm. Okay. And but you don't put the, the vegetables in to maybe fifteen minutes before the smoke the meat is done. I see. It doesn't okay. take long to do your. So it's a, it's 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 another way to make a one pot meal, right? That's right, definitely. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, in a sense, it's like using a slow cooker. You know, you could I I I instead of roasting potatoes on the grill, I put sm- uh, potatoes in in the smoker. Oh. Yeah. Wow. And corn? I'm sure corn on the cob. Oh, corn on the cob is delicious. Oh my goodness! I just can't yes. just think about it. It's wonderful. You just pull that skin back a little bit, the, the, the shell back, and just mm-hmm. take the uh, silk out mm-hmm. and soak it with water, 
and then put it in a smoker. <laughs> okay. Well, this has been absolutely great. Um, really appreciate you taking time and talking with me today. And uh, I think we'll probably be talking to you more about some of those smoker tips. Well, you know, well, Carla, you know me for a long time that I'm not a big talker. When I have something to say, I say it. <laughs> but when I have something I like to talk about, you can't shut me up. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. This has been great. We appreciate it. Very good. I enjoyed it also. Have a great day. Page 3. This article appeared on Leadership on March 1 and is entitled How to Really See a Blind Person. It was published in the New York Times. We are including it because it generated a lot of discussion on the list and we thought you would like to be part of that discussion. I tell my story a lot. I tell the story of how I wasn't always blind. I tell the story of how I lost my vision while serving in Afghanistan by stepping on an IED. I tell the story of how I put my own injury into perspective by considering the greater sacrifice of my fallen comrades and how I owed it to them to make the most of my escape from death. I tell the story of how I did that by winning a gold medal in swimming at the Paralympics on the first anniversary of the loss of my vision. And after I tell it, people often thank me. They tell me that it's an incredible story and that I'm a good storyteller. They tell me how inspiring it is to see how I've overcome my blindness. But that's not my whole story. It's part of it, I suppose. In many ways, I have overcome my blindness. Five years after losing my sight, I have a rewarding job teaching leadership at the Naval Academy, a lovely house on a creek in historic Annapolis, Maryland, a loving family, and a number of truly deep friendships. My quality of life is very high. Day by day, week by week, I don't find that my blindness is an obstacle. What I haven't been able to overcome is how others perceive me and treat me differently now because of my blindness, or how I so often feel as if I'm on the outside listening in on the lives of others. I hear people talk about how beautiful the sunrise is, but I no longer see it. I hear them talk about Game of Thrones, but cannot watch it because HBO doesn't have descriptive audio for its shows. I can no longer share these very common experiences. One thing I do often now is public talks about learning to navigate my new life without vision, but it's a one-way conversation. Afterward, I go to the airport where I'm reminded how hard it is to physically navigate a world not set up for people without vision. It's a pain to find assistance at the counter. It's a pain to get through security, which can't seem to distinguish dog food from explosives. It's a pain to get the airlines to move my seat to the bulkhead so there's room for my guide dog. Don't get me started on what a pain it is to find the bathroom for either of us. I feel the looks of my fellow passengers wondering what my story is, but too afraid to ask for fear of saying the wrong thing and offending me. I feel helpless, stared at like some sort of freak. 
in my former life as an explosive ordnance disposal officer, I traveled through airports all over the world, from Baltimore to Prague to Baghdad to Kandahar and back, quickly, easily, and anonymously. But traveling as I do now, with a cane and a guide dog, is anything but anonymous. At times, it has beaten me down. At home, the inability to join my friends in their chatter about Game of Thrones has caused me to pull back. I decline invitations out to avoid the same alienating experience I've had a thousand times before. Whether I'm at a crowded bar, restaurant, sports event, or concert, I'll be a spectacle, isolated by my inability to join the conversations of those around me. No thanks. I'll just stay home, in the quiet, where I know exactly where the bathroom is. I'll stay there until I have to hit the road again to tell my story of how I overcame blindness. The irony used to make me chuckle. A few years ago, after another frustrating trip through the airport, I settled into my seat, bound for Dallas, and did my best to disappear. That's an awfully nice watch you have there. I've never seen anything quite like it, my neighbor said as she fastened her seatbelt. A smile spread across my face. I love talking about my watch. It's a tactile timepiece that replaces traditional hour and minute hands with magnetic rotating ball bearings so that blind folks like myself can literally tell the time through touch. It's superbly designed and very sharp looking, so it appeals to those with vision too. The timepiece, the Bradley by E1, is actually named after me. It is accessible to people with or without disabilities. I am a friend of the company's founder, Hyung Soo Kim, and receive a small percentage on sales of the watch. I love explaining how the watch embodies the principles of inclusive design, which I am passionate about. The conversation with my neighbor went on, and I explained how I lost my vision. I talked about how I had been able to adapt, how I tried to maintain perspective, and how I felt as though I had overcome my blindness. Then my neighbor shared her own fights. She had lost her husband a few years ago, and during her grief, had gained weight. She had been struggling with her weight ever since, and it had begun to interfere with her quality of life. I told her how sometimes I felt isolated by my disability, and she relayed that she felt constrained by her weight. I shared how I sometimes feel that I'm an outsider, and she echoed the same. For the first time in a while, I didn't feel like a spectacle or an outcast. I felt like a friend and an important part of someone else's journey. I felt valued, needed, and involved, and all it took was a conversation. I realized that I'm not alone in being alone. Sometimes people ask me what I want others to know about being blind. I want others to feel more comfortable having conversations with people whose experiences are different from their own. My watch has been a natural opener, and once that conversation starts, we usually discuss topics far beyond timepieces and disabilities. Through talking, we find humanity. It seems like we could all use a little more humanity right now. 
I know it's tough for many to have conversations with people so different from themselves, to risk feeling uncomfortable or giving offense, to find common ground, to listen to another's struggles, to share your own struggles in return. But you might be surprised what you get out of it and what you realize you've given in return. How do we do it? It all starts with a conversation. What's your story? Page 4. The Sound Prince Calendar. On April 15, the Kentucky School for the Blind Alumni Association will hold its next board meeting at 8 p.m. Eastern Time at the conference call number 605-475-6006, intercode 294444. On April 16, the Kentucky Council of the Blind will hold a board meeting at 7.30 p.m. by conference call 605-475-6006, intercode 294444. On April 18, the Bluegrass Council of the Blind will have a nutrition, education, and cooking class. From 1.30 to 2.30 p.m., this is a collaborative effort between the Bluegrass Council and the U.K. Cooperative Extension Office. It offers seven hands-on nutrition, education, and cooking classes to anyone who would like to attend on the first and third Wednesday of the month. Classes alternate between the Bluegrass Council Office and the U.K. Extension Office. For more information, call the Bluegrass Council at 859-259-1834. On April 20, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will have a roundabout education and technology, including iPhones and Orbit readers and more, as well as other individual activities, 3.30 to 5 p.m. Discussion time, 5 to 6, dinner, $5 per person, 6 to 7, and games and crafts from 7 until 10. Sign up by calling GLCB at 502-895-4598. On April 22, ACB Families will hold its next Parent Peer Support Group meeting at 9 p.m. Eastern Time by conference call 712-432-3900, intercode 796096. On April 23, the Guide Dog Users of Kentuckiana will have their next membership call 7 p.m. by phone 605-475-6006, intercode 294444. April 25, the Bluegrass Council of the Blind will have a peer support group meeting from noon to 2 p.m. at the BCB office in Lexington, 1093 South Broadway. For more information, call 859-259-1834. April 26 is the next Savvy Workshop in Owensboro. This one is on nutrition and exercise from 10 a.m. to noon Central Time. Join Savvy as they share exercise and nutrition tips at the Wing Avenue Baptist Church, 628 Wing Avenue in Owensboro. For more information, call Rick Bogus at 270-684-4418 or Bill Roberts at 270-485-8170. On April 26, the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision will have its next peer support group meeting in Louisville, 1.30 to 3.30 p.m. at United Crescent Hill Ministries, free for all who wish to attend. The phone number to call for more information is 502-895-4598. On April 27 is the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind Spring Quarterly Meeting. 
elections, information about upcoming ACB National Conference and Convention, and much more at United Crescent Hill Ministries. Roundabout activities from 3.30 until 5. Registration and bargain table begins at 4.30. The program begins at 5.15. Dinner at 6 and business meeting to follow. All activities will conclude by 8.30 p.m. For more information and to sign up, call 502-895-4598. April 28 is the Competitive World of Blind Sports from 1 to 3 p.m. at the American Printing House for the Blind. From casual recreation to the Olympics and the Paralympics, people who are blind or visually impaired participate in every possible sport from team sports like baseball and goalball to archery, cycling, golf, judo, swimming, and skiing. Meet athletes who have excelled at their sport, sometimes with special adaptive equipment, but always through their own innate abilities and drive. At the APH Museum, 1839 Frankfurt Avenue. Free, but best for adults and children 8 and up. Pre-register by calling 502 899 2213. Looking ahead into May, on May 1, the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision will hold their conference peer support group meeting. 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the conference line at 605-475-6006, enter code 294444. Individuals statewide experiencing low vision are encouraged to call in, ask questions, share tips, and offer comments. On May 3, the American Council of Blind Lions will have their monthly conference call meeting. This is a meeting for blind lions from around the country. It's an excellent opportunity to share ideas about how to be involved in local clubs. It's at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, 6 p.m. Pacific. The number is 712-432-3900 and the code is 796096. On May 5, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will hold its Derby Party. Doors open at 10 a.m. and the party will conclude at 8 p.m. Plan to come early, stay late, and enjoy friends, games, and fun, and food all day long. $5 per person at United Crescent Hill Ministries. Sign up by calling 502-895-4598. On May 6, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will have committee meetings by phone. The Advocacy Committee will meet at 7 p.m. and the Education, Activities, and Technologies Committee, EAT Committee, will meet at 8 p.m. Call 605-475-6006 and enter code 294444. On May 8, the Support Alliance of the Visually Impaired, SAVVY, in Owensboro will hold its monthly meeting from 1 to 3 p.m. Central Time. This will be a social with games, cake and cookies, and drinks. Include. This will be a social with games, cake and cookies, and drinks. Discuss a garage sale, social committee meeting, at the Wing Avenue Baptist Church, six twenty eight Wing Evans, six twenty eight Wing Avenue in Owensboro. Call Rick Bogus at two seven zero six eight four 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 one eight for more information. On May 9, the KCBPR Membership Committee will meet at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Call 605-475-6006 and enter code 
1-800-529-4444. On May 10, the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision will have a support group meeting from 1.30 to 3.30 p.m. at United Crescent Hill Ministries, 502-895-4598 for more information. Also on May 10, the Northern Kentucky Council of the Blind will have its monthly call at 7 p.m. 605-475-4700, enter code 155619. May 11, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will have a roundabout, 3.30 to 5 p.m., Education and Technology, Discussion Time and Tip Sheet, 5 to 6, Dinner, 6 to 7, $5 per person, Bingo, $2 per person, Other Games and Crafts from 7 to 10. At United Crescent Hill Ministries, call 502-895-4598 to sign up. On May 12, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind Board will have its monthly meeting at 11 a.m. by conference call 605-475-6006, enter code 294444. On May 13, KCB Next Generation will have its next telephone meeting, open to all Individuals 40 and under throughout Kentucky. The phone number is 605-475-6006. The code is 294444. And the time is 8 p.m. Eastern. And June 29 through July 6 is the annual American Council of the Blind Conference and Convention in St. Louis, Missouri. Listen to Soundprints for more information about the upcoming convention and how you can participate in the convention by receiving a stipend to attend from the Kentucky Council of the Blind. We want to have a large crowd in St. Louis, and we hope you're making plans now to attend. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. Sound Prince is a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and is heard each week on ACB Radio Mainstream at acbradio.org, Central Kentucky Radio I at radioi.org, and the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Complete schedule information is also available on the website. Sound Prince is underwritten by the Louisville Downtown Lions Club, and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Rushable for Soundprints. Have a great week, everybody.